Hey, why don't we stand to our feet for, for reading the word together? I just um, really feel that this scripture today, and if you've got your Bibles with you, love for you to open up with me to Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 through 15. This is our seventh week, week seven of a 12-week series. We're going all the way up to uh, the, the, the 17th of December, which is going to be our Christmas carols. Halloween is this Tuesday, but after that, Christmas is coming. Christmas trees go up, you know, we're getting ready, we're in the Christmas FM comes on. I always know it's Christmas when Christmas FM comes on, and I play it all the time, the same songs every time, and they're getting ready for that Christmas mood, and so um, we're reading from verses 9 through 15, and you know, in, in, this, in these scriptures that we've been reading, Colossians, um, there's been some tough, tough uh, verses, tough sermons. It's been tough for me to say them, let alone to hear them. And this is a real celebratory scripture. And it's really one that I'm excited to preach and excited to, to share with you today. And it begins in verse 9. It says, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. What an incredible statement. That in Christ God lives in bodily form. That God is Christ with flesh on. That's what Jesus is. He's, he is God with flesh on. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. I think those two words, in Christ, time and time again, you hear it in Colossians. They are two of the most important words that you will hear. That in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. That in Christ, He is greater than all things. That in Christ, we are made whole. He is the head over every power and authority. I think you missed one. Oh no, in Him, you are also circumcised with the circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you're circumcised by Christ. In my study, I decided, rather than using illustrations and going deep into this one, we'll leave this for another week. Okay. <laughs> Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and the authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. I love this verse so much and barely this morning with the extra hour. Many of you I know spent in bed because you're in the second service. <laughs> Reading over this and just thinking about these words that Paul was, was writing this to the church in Colossae approximately 20, 30 years after Jesus was crucified on the cross. And he says these words, he says, and having disarmed the powers, powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. 
And I was thinking to myself, what about some of the people who were there at that time in that moment who were still alive, who had either heard these words of Paul or heard what others were saying about it and they were either there or had experienced it or had heard from the other apostles, thinking them to themselves, that's not how it happened. He made a public spectacle of them. He triumphed over them by the cross, Jesus, who was stripped, beaten, naked, flogged, spat on, humiliated. He made a public spectacle of them. He who was nailed to the cross, who now Paul says that he nailed our sins to the cross, but yet here our Savior was the one who was nailed to the cross. He was the one who was, who was, uh, was skin, was ripped, his flesh, his bones broken. What I just believe is so powerful because Paul had seen the perspective that we need to see, that we may have seen as defeat, in fact, is victory. That we may have seen now as we look in the perspective that in Christ and through the cross that he was making a public spectacle of them when they thought they were making a public spectacle of him. The enemy thought that he had triumphed over Jesus, but in fact, Christ was the one who had triumphed over Satan himself. And that in Christ, you and I can look back through the perspective of the cross in a time in our life where we have, may have looked back at our past and our sin and our shame and we looked back and we saw how weak we were, how down we were, how hopeless we were. Now that we can say it was because of that that in Christ I have triumphed. That in Christ what the enemy tried to take me out and use for his good, Christ redeemed it and has now used it as a public spectacle of the enemy. He humiliated the enemy. Now I stand strong in Christ through the triumph of the cross. Here's what I want to preach to you today and share with you this message. You can live in victory. You can live in victory. Oftentimes it's about perspective. For me, Ireland won the World Cup last night. Why? Well, we beat the World Cup winners, surely. <laughs> The math, you know, we we're, surely we're the best. It's a joke. Here's the perspective. We live from victory, not live for victory. I, I believe that this is so important for the Christian to possess and to believe that we live in victory, that we are transformed through the triumph of the cross. It's not walking around, you know, pointing at everything and saying everything is amazing, everything is great, and I'm great, and you're great, and we're going to, if we, you know, believe it, it will happen. No, instead, living from victory is not living in defeat. Living from victory is living in Christ. Living from victory is not living as if we're being made public spectacle of everyone and everything around us being defeated in ourselves and defeated in our mindset. It's a mindset shift. I'm living in victory. 
I'm living in victory because of what I've done. No, because of what Christ has done for me. And I want to encourage you today, church. I want to encourage you to put your back straight, to lift your head high, to bring that confidence here on the 28th of October when it feels like in Ireland that we've been living two years of winter in the last three weeks, when it can feel like this sad depression is kicking in and you look all around you and it can feel overwhelming. You can feel overburdened. It can feel in such a state where everything is coming in against you when you need to know today you are living from victory. You are living not by your circumstances but what Christ has accomplished for you in the cross. So Lord, I pray right now as you anoint my words to speak, God, I pray that you would anoint each and every one of us with the authority that comes from the word of God. I pray that your spirit of God that is here right now in this moment will empower us to live as you've called us to live. We thank you. We celebrate the cross in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. You may take your seats. Thank you, Blake. Thank you. The cross. The cross is an instrument of torture and of death. The cross, the Romans in which they were so smart when it came to military awareness and also so gifted when it came to tools of torture, what they could use to cause their enemies or maybe prisoners to suffer the most. And here now what we see is this very thing that was used for torture and death. Christ turns it for his good that now we look as as Christians as a thing of beauty. So much so that people even wear a cross around their neck. We sing and worship about the cross. We, it's just a beautiful picture of how God can turn death into life. He can turn nothing into something spectacular. That that he can turn it around. He can turn what may feel like our worst day of existence into the beginning of a miracle. The cross, in fact, our entire human history is built around the cross. Even today in this society, in this day and age, we've got B.C., we've got A.D., Before the cross and after the death of Jesus Christ. The cross splits its history where the Old Testament in the Bible is looking towards the cross. The New Testament is looking from the cross. The cross is what defines us. The cross is where our testimony begins. The cross begins that everything may in our life have been, I was this, but then. But what? But the cross. I was deserving of wrath and of death, but only for Jesus Christ, his life, on the, his life and death on the cross, I can live again. The cross is to be the very thing that can completely transform and change our lives. How? Because through the triumph of the cross, we can live in victory. Now the question I ask of myself and I've asked of God, and I'm sure all of you ask is this, is, How can we live in victory when we're experiencing defeat all around us? How can we experience victory when we're experiencing defeat in our homes? Defeat in our minds, defeat in our hearts, defeat through 
every day that we walk this life, it feels like it's hard, that we're suffering, that there's another thing that comes up in our life just when we thought that we got over one trial, another one comes, and it can just cause us to suck the life out of us and cause us to suffer. How then can we stand here in church and worship the cross and celebrate God and say, yes, we can live in victory while experiencing defeat? The answer, I believe that God is given to us through this this scripture through this passage is that you already have everything that you need in your possession to live in victory. You already have everything you need. You see, we live in a world today that has got more money than it's ever had before, less hunger, less famine, less sickness. It is more of an economic spread throughout the global community And yet, since 2018 to 2023, depression, the data has shown, has tripled. That suicide is at a highest rate now more than ever. That just as there's more people today trying to live longer in life, there's so many people who are trying to end their life. There's so many people who are, who are living their life. I don't know if you've experienced this, and I've experienced this in the darkness and the hopelessness of the days that I've walked through. I've experienced it like, I'm living, but I'm just surviving. I'm just waking up to get back to bed again. So how can we live in victory? And I believe that it's in Christ. In Christ. As the Christian today, you can walk out of here victorious, not because anything has necessarily changed about you, but because you realize that you are in Christ, Christ is in you, and you already possess everything that you need to live in victory. Because you don't need to achieve, you don't need to pursue, you don't need to go after, you don't need to do a dance and, you know, do something or apply something or, you know, cause to to follow this tradition, you already have what you need. And the answer for all of us as Christians is this, is to come to the realization that what we've received in Christ can empower us to live in victory. When we come to the realization, we grasp that we're living from victory, what Christ has triumphed over for us on the cross, now I can live in victory. And so Paul shares with us three things because every scripture has three things when it comes to a sermon. Three things that Paul gives us that we have received through Christ. That, That Jesus died for us so that we may live. Now, should we just live an average? Normal? Just kind of like we're on our gravestone or our life is defined by the little dash in between the date we were born and date we would die, or should we live life to the full? Should we live life to the full fulfillment of what Christ has died for us? Which is it? You want to live to the full? Do you want to receive that which Christ has died for you? Because I do. In fact, here's the very first thing. Jesus, he, in his triumph over everything that is defeated through death and sin and Satan, here's the very first thing that we receive. We receive fullness. 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 Colossians 2, verse 9 and 10 says, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ you have been brought to fullness. 
You've been brought to fullness. Listen to how Paul says in Colossians 1.19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things in earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Our world today is looking for peace. And yet you have it. You have got peace. Through his triumph on the cross, you have peace. Peace for what? Peace that surpasses all understanding. As Philippians 4 verse 7 says, the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That you have received through the cross in Christ. Peace for what? For your hearts and minds. That you got peace. That, that where you feel incomplete, his peace completes you. That where you feel broken, his peace causes you to experience wholeness, that Jesus made peace available to you and to why through the shedding of his blood. These reconciled to the Father through the Son, through the shedding of his blood. Peace is the product of a life of repentance. When we turn away from our sin, when we confess our sin with our mouth and believe that Jesus is Lord and raised from the grave, we will be saved and therefore now we can live in peace. As the world lives in turmoil, we can live in peace. As the world now today, our minds, our hearts have more conflict than ever before, yet I can experience greater peace. How? I'm in Christ. I receive fullness in Christ, fullness of peace from my heart, from my mind, but also fullness of peace for our physical bodies. Just as much as Christ is concerned what is internally, he's also concerned with what is external. But seek first the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added unto you. That the God is, is concerned with your external needs. That, that we may have peace in our mind, but experiencing disease and illness and ailments or, or, or broken things in, in our external body. And in Christ, he wants us to experience peace. In fact, Isaiah 53 verse 5 says, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. They are internal conditions and the punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed that because of the cross we can receive fullness of peace for our hearts our minds and our healing of our bodies that jesus came two thousand years ago he walked the earth what did he do he healed he healed the lame he healed the crippled the mute the blind, the leper, he healed, he healed. And in fact, this John, uh, Hebrews 13, 8 says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You can recite, receive fullness in every area of your life. Peace for your heart, for your mind, and your body. That you can receive fullness, that what you need, everything that you need is already possessed in Christ. Here's the second thing. That what you receive is we receive freedom. We receive fullness and we receive freedom through his triumph on the cross. Freedom from Satan. Freedom from sin. Freedom from death. Firstly, it's freedom from Satan. Colossians 2, 10 and 15. He is the head over every power and authority. In Ephesians 2, it talks about the power and the authority of the rulers of the disobedience of, of, of this earth. 
Verse 15, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Because of his victory on the cross, Satan has been defeated. He is defeated. There, there is no wondering, you know, who's going to win? There's no wondering, will he, will he defeat me? Will I, should I live in fear because he may win? No, he's been defeated. You see, in Genesis 1 and 2, as God spoke, let there be light. He, through his breath, he spoke the world into existence. And through his breath, he spoke um, the man and woman and created them from the, the dust of the earth. And said that they are to be in the image and likeness of him. And then in Genesis 3, what happens through tempt tempting Eve and Adam, what happens is sin enters the world. What we see in this moment that there was this closeness that we had with God that in this moment sin separated. And G uh, God spoke to Adam, Eve, and the serpent. And he said, the seed of the woman who is Jesus will crush the head of the enemy. That in this moment, on the cross, the plan of salvation that God spoke about in Genesis chapter 3 comes to completion. And through the cross, Satan has been crushed. Satan has been defeated. How Colossians 2 verse 15 says, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. The enemy has been conquered. His head has been crushed. Been crushed. Satan is a defeated foe now and forever. He is humiliated that he may walk around, prowl around like a lion, as 1 Peter 5.8 says. The enemy devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, but he has been defeated by the true lion, the lion of the tribe of Judah. That he may be prowling around like a lion with a roar, but it's a toothless roar. He's got a toothless bite. He may, it says that no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Will it be formed against you? Would it feel like the weapon is going to defeat you? Would it feel like as you're living in fear and anxiety, wondering, is this going to overcome you? Is this going to succumb you? Is this going to, temptation going to take you out? But instead, when you were in Christ, you're living from victory, not living in order to get something. You can live in victory. Why? Because you've got freedom from Satan, freedom from the enemy, freedom from the rulers, the authorities, and the powers of this earth. Hebrews 2.14 says, Since the children have flesh and blood, as the children of Christ have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil. Through the power of the cross, death has been defeated. Satan holds the power of sin, sickness, disease, and death, as well as over the kingdom and the principalities and the powers of this earth. But through Christ's death, he disarmed the devil. He took the weapon off him. Through Christ's death, we no longer have to fear death when we are in Christ. Do you know what's beautiful about this? We can embrace aging. Today, the anti-aging 
Live longer. Try and beat the 120 years that's in the Bible. You know, this, this new modern technology that we can live longer than ever. Why? Because they're afraid of dying. As Christians, we don't have to be afraid of dying. Why? Because we'll continue to exist. No longer on earth, but in heaven with Christ. So as you look in the mirror and you count your wrinkles, count your blessings. Because I'm getting closer. I'm getting closer to the day that I'm going to be in heaven. But in this day, I'm going to embrace it. I'm going to embrace every day. I'm going to live it to the full. I'm going to enjoy it. I, I, I'm not going to live in defeat, but I'm going to live in victory. I'm not going to fear death. I'm not going to fear time running out. In fact, I'm going to embrace it. And say, I can't wait. It's going to be great. It's going to be a party. Because therefore, I can live in victory. Freedom from Satan, freedom from death, and freedom from sin. He says in verse 13, sorry, verse 11 and 13. And I'm skipping there, Chava. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. This is really important for us to understand in our theology and our understanding of how the sin nature works is that the word flesh here is not relating to our skin. In fact, the Greek koine word used for flesh was the word sarx. And it refers to our, our sinful nature. The, the sinful nature of the human being that is in direct opposition to the Spirit of God. That when you are ruled by the flesh, your sacks, you are ruled by your sinful nature. All of us, because of the temptation in the Garden of Eden and because of sin entering the world, we are born in our sinful nature. But now what's happened, and this is why circumcision, what it was, is the cutting off of the flesh was a symbol. It was just an Old Testament symbol that you are literally marked by God, that you're no longer led by your flesh, but now you're led by the Spirit that's living and active within you. Understand what I'm saying? This is why it's really important that on the cross, Jesus performed surgery. He cut out sin. He... He overcame the power of our flesh. Therefore, that in Christ, that I can put off temptation. That in Christ, I, I can sin, but through my confession and repentance, I can receive forgiveness. That in Christ, His Spirit actually empowers me to overcome my fleshly state that leans toward my sinful nature, and instead through the Spirit of God to live according to his plan and purpose for my life. And that's what we has been accomplished for us on the cross that each of us have I've seen I've seen this in our own life that we're no longer led by our fleshly desires but our spiritual desires. And the more we feed our spiritual desires, the more hunger that we have for the things of God. How is this accomplished for us? Well, it's really an interesting and important for us to know the theology of the cross, what we see in, in this moment, which was only, you know, a number of hours on a Friday afternoon. But Jesus upon the cross, he spoke twice. 
first time he spoke was in Mark chapter 15, verse 34. The ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the earth grew dark and the, the land began to tremble as the Son of God hung upon the cross. And according to 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that he became sin for us. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We see here in this moment for the first time, only, never again repeated, God referred to his father Sorry, Jesus referred to his father as God. He says, my God, my God. It's the first and only time that Jesus addressed his father as God. Why is this? Because in this moment, Jesus became sin. In this moment, Jesus became the ugliest, most detestable, offensive, impure, wicked, mean, vicious, hateful, obnoxious, offensive, immoral, corrupt, depraved, and horrible beast like any person on the face of the earth. And in that moment, the father and son were separated the first and only time in eternity because God cannot be close to sin. In that moment, he hung alone as a substitutionary lamb, the sacrifice for our sin. This is really un important for us to understand because once we place our faith and accept the substitutionary sacrifice, we receive salvation. But when we don't, when the day of judgment comes for each and every one of us, either God will look at us and see his son and say, paid in full. Or God looks at us and says, penalty to be paid. Each one of us will pay. Some of us will have our payment already paid for. Others will not. That's why it's so important for all of us to live with mission in life, living in victory, because our mission is to see people experience life change through Jesus Christ. That our, our children, our family members, our friends, our colleagues, every single one will have the opportunity to also have their payment paid for. The second time that Jesus spoke on the cross in John 19, 28, later knowing that all was now completed. I love that. It's like, it's all been completed. From Genesis chapter 3, until now, it's done. It's complete. And so that the scripture will be filled. Jesus said, I'm thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked the sponge in it, put the sponge in a stalk and a hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When they had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. Without, with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It is finished. There's now no more separation. The death of Jesus satisfied the justice of God. Matthew 27, 50 says, And when Jesus cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. And at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The curtain that separated people from the throne room of God, where God's presence was within the temple, was separated from top 
to bottom. What does this mean? It means that the first time in history, and now for all time, we've got direct access to the Father. We've got direct access to God. We don't need an intermediary. We don't need a priest or a person, for we have the person of Jesus Christ. We've got direct access to God. This is powerful to know because I know today, so many of you, you feel like you're living in defeat. You're feeling like, woe is me. Taking on the victimization that the world revels in. Saying, if I only had, I wish I had, I wanted. When Jesus says this, now that you have direct access to the Father, you've got everything that you need. And if you need Ask him. In fact, he says, John 14, 12, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. You need something? Ask him. You want something? Ask him. You need to see breakthrough in your life? Ask him. Ask him. Whatever you ask in his name, you've got direct access to God right now in this moment. What do you need to ask him? What do you need? The challenge is there. Jesus says, you will do greater things than I have even done. Why? Because we got a spirit of God. We got Jesus upstairs, intercessing on our behalf, beside the Father, directing us, answering us. So ask Him. If you need it, you want to live in victory, it's there. Don't leave here today saying, oh, I need. No, if you need, you ask Him. He'll give it to you. Once it's in direct line, again, you've got to read Scripture according to the Bible, not towards one verse, when it's in line with the desire of God, when the desires of your heart and comes in line with Him, the fulfillment of the purposes of God. When you ask Him, doesn't mean it's going to happen there and then. It's a journey. It's a process. There's pain, there's suffering, there's hurt. But there's always fulfillment on the other side. Always fulfillment. Here's the third thing that we receive. We receive forgiveness. Through His victory on the cross, so that we can live in victory, we have got the fullness in Christ. We have got freedom from Satan, sin, and death. And we have got forgiveness for our sins. Colossians 2, 13 and 14, He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He's taken it away, nailing it to the cross. It's really important especially when it comes to the, the legal indebtedness, that then when God set up the structure of the earth, there was a system in place of the law. There was a legal debt that was owed. There was a legal debt that was owed that we have read in chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2 about the, the shedding of the blood of Jesus the shedding of the sacrificial lamb that was given to us, that was the payment to be paid to us to wipe away the sins of the earth. It's important to understand the two aspects of God when it comes to this sacrificial act and the declaration it is finished. Firstly is the holiness of God. God hates sin. God is completely separate from sin. 
He determines that the penalty of sin is death and the penalty must be paid. Does it mean that if you're good and you live a good life and you do good things, your penalty is paid? No. You place your faith in Jesus Christ, you receive payment. You receive salvation. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us in our flesh, in our socks, our sinful nature, born into this earth. We're all sinners. We are all equal at the foot of the cross. Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We've got the holiness of God, but here's the second thing. We've got the love of God. There was a penalty to be paid, and he sent the payment. There was a sacrifice to be made, and he sent the sacrificial lamb. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He gave the payment on our behalf. And because of this, the work of the cross is complete and final. And Jesus declares, it is finished. The debt has been paid. We can now live in grace. We can live by grace. Every day. Every day. That His grace is so deep, you'll never get to the end of it. You'll never get to the bottom of it. When you go through your dark days, your doubtful days, your depressed days, when you go through the days that you feel like you're living in defeat, guess what? His grace is there to meet you. Every day. You'll never get to the depth of it. You'll never get to the end of it. That if you go home today and you mess up and you go on a bender where you just completely break off everything and you mess up your life and you go to bed at night and you wake up the next morning, grace will be there to meet you. And the great thing about the grace of God is we don't need to do that in our life and we can still have His grace. We don't need to do those things in our life to experience some sense of joy and excitement. When we live according to the purposes of God, we can experience peace, fullness that transcends all understanding. Though we may feel defeated, though we may feel in condemnation, He says, verse 13 and 14, He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. And He's taken it away. He's taken the shame away. He's taken our sin away. And He's given us His grace.